Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, this morning I'm in the fourth installment of The Life of Joseph. And we're looking at when God gives us a dream, how do we see that dream come to pass within our life? If you've met God, he's, he's a dreaming God. He loves to insert dreams and visions into our lives. A dream paints, a, a thousand words paints uh, uh, not a very compelling picture, but a picture or a dream uh, can easily compete with a thousand words and it will stick with you for the rest of your life. And God loves to do that. And he gave young Joseph a dream at 17 years old. But Joseph went through 10 tests, identifiable tests, from the time he received those dreams to the time that the dream was fulfilled where his own family bowed down to him as the prime minister of Egypt. And so we've looked at the pride test where Joseph was young, full of pride, skiding to his brothers how they're all going to bow down to him one day. He was very unwise. They threw him in the pit, which is the second test. When we find ourselves in an unenviable situation, depression, anxiety, we're in a pit within our lives. How do we climb out of it? Last week, I shared with you the third test, the palace test, which is that the test was Joseph uh, was put into a place where he served another man's household, and he was faithful in Potiphar's household, and God promoted him. And it's the test of stewardship, learning how to steward something that's not yours but belongs to somebody else. God can never elevate us in our dreaming if we can't actually serve another person's vision or another person's dream. And so today I want to talk to you about what came after the, the, uh, the, the palace test. What happened in the palace was that there was a very foxy lady and uh, her name was Potiphar's wife. And, uh, and so Joseph went from this incredible, he was promoted, God was moving within his life, and suddenly he's hit with what we're going to talk about today, the purity test. And the purity test is staying sexually clean in a very, very promiscuous society. And if we're not living in a sex-saturated society today, I don't know what we are living in, it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere, and with uh, with the amount of screen consumption time that's going on now and people's holding it in their hand as a smartphone or whether it's video or whether it's television, uh, whatever it may be, we are living in a society where stuff is being piped through to us uh, and, and it's very difficult to escape from. So I want to talk frankly with you today. Can I have permission to do that? And straight some straight talk with you today. Because God's got some answers for us today. And I want to read the story. We're going to read just six verses from Genesis 39. Thus Potiphar left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things, listen to this, that his master's wife cast longing eyes. You ever seen those eyes? Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Or something like, lie with me. Something like that. But <laughs> verse 8. 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, listen to this, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. In other words, he's fully trusted me with everything that he has. Wow. And he's committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Woo. Integrity right there. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness, notice, and not sin against Potiphar, what did he say? And sin against God because he had a God consciousness within his life. Already a young man at the height of his sexual virility and the sexual tension that is often in a young, late teenage, early 20-something young man, he's able to put the brakes on because he's got a God consciousness that says, I can't go here because this is out of bounds. Wow. I love Joseph's life. He's an incredible, incredible guy. Verse 10, So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Does the devil give up after one try? Come on now. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. We're not going to read the rest of the story for time's sake this morning. But we pray the Holy Spirit would bring this home to our hearts today. So let me ask you some questions about this incident to bring it into perspective. Potiphar is a high-ranking Egyptian official. They are living in the most sophisticated culture in the world. where the beauty of human beings was paramount. So do you think Potiphar's wife looked like a British bulldog? <laughs> the Egyptians elevated beauty. It was, a, it was a status symbol in their society. And do you think this was a sudden move on Joseph by Potiphar's wife out of the blue? Uh uh. It says here his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. She tried it on, not just once, but again and again and again, trying to wear this young man down. So, does Joseph have any, uh, show any awareness that there's some interest in him? Absolutely, he does. He's fully aware. He knows the flirting, the body language, he's seen the come on to him. He understands exactly what's going on in this situation. And that's what I like about the Bible. The Bible is a real book that tells real stories about real life. And many of you have faced what we're talking about here. So does, does Joseph feel anything in the midst of this? Come on. Is he a block of ice? The ice man? Of course he understands what's going on all around about him in this situation. And yet we see that his, 
the integrity that God has began to build into him and the strength of character within him that he's able to submit to God, resist the devil and see himself fleeing out of this situation, which was New Testament counsel that the Holy Spirit had already put into him. You know what I find sad about the sex-saturated society that we live in is simply this, is that New Zealanders care a lot about purity in a lot of areas. We love purity of air that we breathe. We love purity of nice, fresh water that we drink. But we, we, but we don't mind having a mind that's saturated with filth, that's saturated with, with all kinds of junk and rubbish that's been put down the pipeline into our minds every day. Oh, we love the pure water, we love the pure air, but we don't mind our minds being a cesspit. So, Today we face enormous struggles in this area. We have, we have never, ever faced a time like we have right now where basically there's a portal in every home that's mobile now into the worst kind of filth that we can possibly imagine that is at your fingertips in the world that we live in. That's why this subject is so relevant to us because it's no longer doing the sneaky going out to the adult bookshops or going out to the to the um, the escort agencies as a secret agent, but now you can have everything come to your home, right where you are, and that means that we need to build some resilience, some strength, and we need to understand how to maintain sexual purity in a sex saturated culture. Is anybody with me today? And so this is what the Bible says about this life that God's called us to live. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, reading from the Living Bible, verse 3. For God wants you to be holy and pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin so that each of you will marry in holiness and honor. Now that's completely opposite to today's mantra, try before I buy. If I don't know how good he or she is in bed, then I'm not prepared to commit to that. I want to try before I buy. That's the culture that we live in, friends. Upside down to what the Bible's telling us here, I want you, look at that, keep clear of all sexual sin so that when you do marry, you can marry in holiness and honour without shame or dishonour. Hello. Verse 5, not in lustful passion as the heathen do in their ignorance of God and His ways. So we read this and we've got to ask ourselves, is it really possible to retain this kind of purity and honor before God in the world that we live in today? Let me give you a simple lesson out of nature while I believe that it's possible. We are surrounded everywhere we look, everywhere we go. We are surrounded by this impurity that is running through the globe today. But if you take a simple lesson, uh, a little while back, Richard invited me out on his boat. We went out into the harbour, fishing in the saltwater harbour for snapper, a well-known fish that we all love to eat. Who loves snapper? I love snapper. Now, when we caught that snapper, when we caught that snapper, once we filleted it and we got it ready to eat it, we actually had to put salt on it, which is a contradiction because where did it come from? 
a salt-saturated environment, and yet the fish itself needed salting in order for us to eat. Because by nature, that fish can live in an environment that's saturated by salt, and yet it's got no salt in it. Just like God has created you and I to live in a sex-saturated culture, and yet we can remain pure within that culture without that stuff seeping into our lives. I believe that we have a simple lesson from nature that can show us. So how can this happen today in your life and my life? And I want to give you just five really simple points, and they are simple. And some say, well, that's too simple, James. You don't understand what I'm facing. Yes, I do. Do you know why? Because I've faced it. We all face it. We all are made of the same stuff, and we all had a same father called Adam that is bent, has a bent disposition, and the power of the new creation in Christ is able to break the power of Adam's old nature within our lives. Can I hear someone say an amen this morning? So the first thing that we need to do that is going to help you in your battle with sexual purity is simple this, simply this, is that we need to, we need to make a commitment to God's standard. You and I need to be fully persuaded. And I went through this and wrestled through this as a young man, fresh out of the world, involved in all that stuff before I came to Christ. And I had to be fully persuaded that the standard that God set, He was able to help me live by that standard. That He wasn't asking me to raise the bar in my life and setting me up for repeated failure. That God said, you can live pure, you can live righteous, you can live a godly life in this sex-saturated society. You can honor me, you can live without shame and disgrace around about your life, James. And I want you to make a commitment to keeping yourself pure. So for me, when I got saved, I felt that I had my virgin status reinstated with God. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And that God could do something brand new in my life that was complete contradiction to the old James that used to live in the world. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man or anyone keep their way pure by living according to your word? There is a word. There is a standard. There is a way. And when we become fully persuaded, and you need to be fully persuaded, because if there's any doubt, guess what the devil will do? If there was any doubt in Joseph's mind when he was serving in Potiphar's house, guess what Joseph would have done? He would have partaken with the goods where God, where Potiphar said, you can have everything else, but you can't have my wife. And he would have transgressed over there because that doubt that she worked on day after day, trying to persuade him, unless he was fully persuaded, he would have fallen in that situation. So we need to make a commitment. Am I going to be committed to God's standard or am I just going to make up my own standard when it comes to honoring God with my body? And we need to understand that God knows a little bit more about life than we do. And he knows how it works and he knows how you work and he knows how. And because he created sex, because he is the mastermind of it, he thought up the whole idea. He set parameters around about it and God's standards have never changed. He's not an old fashioned, old fuddy-duddy God. He's the same yesterday, today and forever and the same standards Uh, 1,500 years ago with Joseph is the same standards that we live by today in the world that we put in, regardless of what opinion polls, surveys, or anyone else will say about this whole arena. 
committing ourselves to the standard that God has set is our first step. And, and the important part about this is to understand is that sex is a lot more than a physical act. Sex is a spiritual act. And that's what we need to understand. So if it's a spiritual act, that means it has consequences. It means having sex has emotional consequences. It has social and sometimes legal consequences as a result of having sex. And if sex was just a physical act, it would be like, hi, here's my physical act of sex, shake hands and walk away, no problem. But we know that sex is a lot more than just a physical act. There is a spiritual dynamic behind it. The two shall become one. And there's transfer that's taking place right there and then. And I had a massive wake-up call on this when I came to Christ, and I was going so well in my walk, and then my old girlfriend who had gone back to her husband in Australia rung me, and I started confessing all the wrongs. Yeah, we'll get back together. Yeah, it's going to be really good and everything else. And I realized this huge magnet pull from, from me back to her to go back into this adulterous relationship that I've been living with and prior to coming to Christ. And, and I realized that this pull was just absolutely, it was, just, it, was, it was so strong. So what did I do? I called upon my pastor. I asked him to come round. He came round. We began to pray. And then I had to take another step to break all the soul ties. Every single photograph of my time with this woman, I had to burn it in the fire and get rid of it and cut off every actual remembrance of the past in our relationship. And I had to be vicious. I had to be, I had to be onto it. I had to not allow any doubts or any backroom deals to come in between her and I and had to cut her off. Years later, when we were pastoring our second church, she walked into our church service. She had another go. Because the soul tie was broken with me, but it wasn't with her. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. So there's consequences. So it's more than just the physical, and that's what sex educators don't understand. They just reduce sex to a biological act, a physical act. This is this, this is that, and when you get this and that and you get together, it's called sex. And if you want to have safe sex, you cover this with that so that we'll be safe. Sorry to get a bit graphic with you, but that's, that's what they're teaching in primary school. I'm shocked. So sex is a little more than just putting the Milo in the milk and shaking it up. It's social, it's scientific, it's legal, it's spiritual, it's emotion in additional to the biological, and that's the issue today. So the Bible says that sex is reserved for husband and wife who are committed to each other in marriage. Anything outside of that, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, anything else will have profound effects on your emotions and your spiritual life. Not to mention the potential physical consequences with STDs being at an all-time high. That's sexually transmitted diseases. So this is the starting point. Number one, committing to God's standard. Number two, where it all rumbles and rolls, managing my mind. Because every temptation starts in the mind. Proverbs 4.23, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. 
Wow, look at that. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, think about such things. And this is where the battle is won or lost right here. If we are open-minded about everything and we just have no traffic control of what's coming in and out of our minds, then eventually we're going to suffer the consequences of being defeated by temptation because as a man thinks, so is he. And our, thought, our thoughts begin to shape our behavior. So any time you see someone really messing up in their life, it didn't start with an action, it started with a thought. And we need to understand that. When we get a hold of that, that what's going on up here is actually eventually going to have a bearing on the way that we behave and where our feet begin to walk and the direction of our lives. And so the Bible teaches and science backs this up, is that the way that you think determines the way that you feel. So if you're allowing unchecked wrong thoughts up here, eventually it's going to play on your emotions and it's going to begin to deal some death blows to you unless you bring it into check. So if you want to change your actions, you need to change your habits. You need to change your thought life. You need to change what's coming in and out. Affairs don't just happen, friends. Oh, I slipped into an affair today. Like I tripped on a rock. <laughs> I just slipped into a fear. Listen, you didn't just slip into a fear. There were chinks in your armor all along the way, a long way prior to a physical act taking place within your life. And those thoughts have been there like Potiphar's wife with Joseph, just incessant day after day to lower the barrier, lower the barrier, lower the barrier and open the door. Is everybody still with me? So thoughts are not harmless. You keep thinking them because they produce feelings of excitement. They produce a reaction in your body. 2 Timothy 2, 22, Living Bible, run, like Joseph did. Run from anything that gives you evil thoughts. Stay close to anything that makes you want to do right. I love that translation. So this is what the Bible says, how to manage our minds. Run away, turn your back on those wrong thoughts. It implies that we all have a choice. You don't have to give in. And so the key is not, the key is not sitting watching that screen saying, I won't watch it, I won't watch it, I won't watch it, I resist watching it, I resist watching it. That's like sitting at the table when you're trying to lose weight and there's a massive, delicious, three-layered chocolate cake with, with cream and beautiful icing on there saying, I'm not going to have a piece, I'm not going to have a piece, I'm not going to have a piece. Guess what happens? You have a piece. Why do you have a piece? Because it was still the focus of your mind and became the, the focus of your eye gate and became the focus of your thoughts. And as a result of that, it moved you to action. So the trick here, friends, about managing your mind is focusing on what you want to do, not what you don't want to do. Did you catch that? Focusing on what you want to do, not what you don't want to do. So just resisting, resisting, resisting is going to cause you to fall every time. You've got to begin to change your focus completely away from that temptation and head in a different direction. 
The more you focus on that thing, that temptation, the harder it becomes to resist it. So turn away from it like Joseph turned away that day, physically and literally turned in the opposite direction and ran for his life. Of course, we know she framed him. She said, she said he tried to rape me. Here's his jacket. And this is where the next installment goes. He went from the purity test straight into prison for a very, very long time. So... <clears throat> Um, if my mind isn't on it, I can't be tempted by it. If my mind isn't on it, I can't be tempted by it. It's as simple as that. Teenagers sitting in the back seat of the car with no chaperone, nobody else around, no accountability, saying, we don't want to go all the way. Guess what's going to happen? Somebody could get pregnant, and you probably will go all the way. So the key is not no, no, no. The key is get out of that situation and focus your attention elsewhere on living the right way. Can I hear an amen this morning? Woo! Number three, praise God. If we want to live pure in an impure world, we need to minimize the opportunity for temptation. That means not placing yourselves in a situation where uh, you know that you're going to be tempted. It means if you don't want to get stung, stay away from the bees. It's as simple as that. It means if I don't want to get burnt, I've got to stay away from the fire. It means if I have a problem with alcohol, I'm not going to go to my local bar to have a packet of peanuts. <laughs> Let's use our brain, friends. Let's use what God's given to us. It means I'm going to have to monitor my media intake. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 14. The mocker feeds on trash. Now, that was written 2,000 years ago. The mocker feeds on trash. Don't feed on trash. And, uh, you know, what you feed your mind is exactly the same way. As we, if we're feeding our bodies trash all the time, then you're going to end up looking like me right now. All right? Okay? We need to actually change our diet. We need to actually watch what's going into our bodies. And the same way we need to watch what's going in our mind. There's no one here. Do, did anyone ever watch the, um, the guy that uh, did the... Um, he stopped taking sugar in his diet, and he, he ate McDonald's for a whole month. Nothing McDonald's for a whole month. And he put on something like um, 15 to 20 kilos, and he felt like a dog. He felt sick all the time. It was terrible. And then he spent the following months stripping sugar out of his diet, changing it, and he got completely physically transformed in an amazing way. In the same way, you know, we can't continue to live on junk food and think it's not going to affect our shape. And we can't continue to feed on junk food up here and thinking that we can maintain purity. Amen. Amen. Did you know that 91% of all sex portrayed on TV is sex outside of marriage? So on TV, you're taught that through exposure that any good sex is outside of marriage or prior to marriage. Psalm 119 verse 37. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. So sex is glamorized, and the people portrayed it are never fat or wrinkly. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? <laughs> so it doesn't show the result of sin, it doesn't show the consequences of sin, and it doesn't highlight the dangers physically and mentally of what it's all about. So number four, 
For those who are already married, maintain your marriage. It means a growing, healthy relationship with your spouse is going to reduce the opportunities for adultery, for being tempted to experiment with sex inside your marriage or with somebody else outside your marriage. And, you know, God, listen, God created this. I love what Ecclesiastes 9, 9 verse 9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Enjoy it. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, the Phillips translation. Do not cheat each other of normal sexual intercourse or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptations of the devil. That's a single man, the Apostle Paul, giving some advice to married people. He's just saying, use your brain. In other words, don't, don't ever use sex in marriage as blackmail. Depriving your partner in order to hurt them. Because that's not going to go well in your relationship. And if that's happening in your relationship, it's signifying there are unresolved issues that need to get resolved. So if you're saying we're not going to have sexual intercourse for this period of time, for prayer, for fasting, whatever it may be, there needs to be an agreement about that. Otherwise, the devil's going to mess with you in your marriage. And I love this statement. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. (sighs) Lastly, if I want to remain pure in an impure society, I need to magnify the consequences of living outside God's rules. What is going to happen to my life if I break the boundaries that God has placed around me? Nothing damages emotions more than sexual sins. The damage that it does to families, I have witnessed this firsthand. I've been called into situations of 30 years of pastoring into the most horrendous stuff I can't even talk about that's happened in marriages uh, as a result of people going outside the boundary lines. And the devastation that it brings into the life of a family is horrendous. So many people say, I wish I could just roll back the clock, but you can't. It's as simple as that. The clock can't be rolled back. You are going to have to live with the consequences of the choices that you've made. Proverbs 6 verse 32. Anyone who commits adultery hasn't any sense. Hello? He doesn't have any sense. There's another word for that. (laughs) He's dumb. He's just destroying himself. And today that can be literally true as well with many of the diseases that are picked up in uh, the act of sex. Proverbs 6.26, adultery will cost you all you have. That's plain and simple. Adultery will cost you all you have. There's only one way to erase the guilt and the pain And Andrew talked about it this morning. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So is there a way back for us this morning? If we have fallen prey to the enemy's devices and temptations, what's the pathway for us to begin to get on track with God? The first thing that we all need to do is to repent. 
Listen to this. This is, this is a picture of the future judgment of God. Hebrews 13 verse 4. God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. God will judge. There is a judgment coming. Unless that sin has been put under the blood of Christ, it will be judged. All sin that's put under the blood has already been judged 2,000 years ago at the cross. Praise God for that. But if that sin hasn't been put on the blood, then you will have to face at the consequences for your sin. You will not be able to escape it. So um, don't say you know better. You don't know more than him and his ways. And God's standard has never, ever changed. And he has a standard in which he will judge the world. And so if you're feeling guilty before God today, can I say you're in the right place, but you need to take another step. You need to turn that guilt into repentance and turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord and receive cleansing and forgiveness within your life. So that's the second step. It means receiving God's forgiveness. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to, he wants to wash that sin away. But guess what? There's no break from repetition, repetitive patterns of sin within our life, except there's a true repentance that takes place first. There's got to be a commitment in your life to being fully, fully persuaded. And I always remember years ago, we used to have a a church leadership magazine that came out, and a guy published his story anonymously. He was a pastor, well-known leader, and he had huge issues with uh, sexual immorality behind the scenes. And uh, he was out of control. He was going speaking at conferences and then rewarding himself between sessions by going to look at Penthouse and Playboy magazines, perving on porn, feeding that spirit that he'd allowed within his life. And he tried everything. He even went to his overseer to get some advice or counsel. And his overseer said, I'm sorry, mate, I can't help you. I've got the same problem. Because this is, this, is, this is 25 years ago I'm talking about. And he went for counseling. He tried all sorts of different things, but he kept going back to the same thing again because he never changed his focus. And then one day he was reading the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, and everything changed for him through one verse. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And suddenly he realized his impurity was stopping him and blocking him from seeing who God truly was in his life. Wow. That was enough to turn him around and turn him back the right way. And God delivered him that day. Praise God. Number three, establish Jesus in your life and build your life around a close relationship with him because he's the original overcomer, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate overcomer, raised from the dead. And lastly, when you're dealing with this thing, don't forget to ask God for help. Don't forget daily when you're, when you're dealing with this sort of stuff within your life, talk to the Lord about it. He says openly in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. In other words, these temptations are common to man. They're common to all of us. And it says, many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. And no doubt temptation to them seems irresistible. But God will show you how to escape temptations forever. Amen and amen and amen. I wonder if we could stand to our feet.
church this morning as we finish the service. Thanks, Terry. You know, the great thing about this morning's service is that as we responded to the Lord in the worship, God does amazing things when we do that. When we come to the altar, we get altered. When we come and surrender afresh to the call of God upon our lives, He starts, the Spirit of God seeps into all different places within our lives. And some of those areas can be in the areas where we struggle the most. And uh, because of the nature of this message, am I going to ask you, if you have a sex problem, would you come to the front and I'll pray for you? That might be stretching your humility just a little bit too far this morning. But let me tell you something today. As I pray to complete this service, I just want to say to you, you will not be trapped, whoever you are today, that's struggling with sexual issues within your life forever. Because God has a way of escape for you. And God can turn things around. If he could do it for me, I can tell you what, he could do it for anybody. The promiscuity that ran in my family's lines was horrendous. And God broke that off my life, and I know he can break that off your life. And there's many in this house today who have seen the freedom of what God can do. So would you pray with me, church? Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Yes, Holy Spirit. Lord, you weren't just called the Spirit in many places in the Scripture. You're called the Holy Spirit. And you produce holiness within our life. When we surrender our lives to you, when you're knocking on the door, And you're saying, James, I want that part of your mind. I want that part of your heart. I want you to consecrate and submit that to me. Do you hear the call of God on your mind, on your heart this morning, to sanctify it, to consecrate it, to give it to God this morning? Because he's calling you to a life of honor, a life free of shame from sexual sin. A life of purity that is fueled by His grace and His love for your life. I'm so glad that the Lord didn't leave me in my state all those years ago, but He freed me from all that stuff. And each step of obedience that I took broke me free from the shackles of my former lifestyle. And today the Holy Spirit can do it for you. So would you pray with me? You can pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. I'm aware of how much I need your help in my life. Lord, I don't have to describe to you what I'm experiencing this morning. You know me inside and out. But I want to acknowledge my need for you to move in a fresh way in my life. I turn away from impurity And I turn to you because I want to honor you with my whole life, not just my Sunday life.
I want my life from Monday to Saturday to be filled every day with honourable thoughts. Thoughts of grace. Thoughts of honour. Without shame. Harassing my mind. So Holy Spirit, I'm surrendering my mind back to you and I'm asking you to help me take charge of my thoughts. I want to take the steering wheel and direct every thought in my mind and not allow one thought access that's going to have the potential to derail my day. So Lord, help me to put a sentry at the front doorway of my mind and to say, sorry, you're not welcome in here today. And help me, Lord, to focus on what is good and pure and right and holy, to divert my focus on what you want for my life. Here I am, Lord, and I'm asking today for you to move in a fresh and a new way within my life. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me from anything that's been hidden, that's been stored away in the closet that I haven't been prepared to open the door on. I want all the skeletons out of the closet. Sweep my house clean this morning, Lord Jesus. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you today. And I invite you fully into the door. Lord, come through every room, every closet, and clean it out. In the name of Jesus, I'm praying. And I'm thanking you today, Lord, for your grace and power. In the beautiful, wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we give God all the praise and all the glory. And Lord, we just present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in your sight, which is our reasonable act of worship. So we give ourselves back to you today. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And the saints said amen. Amen.